Folks, welcome back to the podcast. Ben and Cody here with you today to recap the formerly number two Clemson Tigers 30-24 to victory over the Troy Trojans in Death Valley on Saturday. Um, Tully, our normal host, is still frolicking around France. You may see him every once in a while on game days, tweets and things from, I think he's in Seine. Is that how you pronounce it, Cody? Sure. <laughs> so look out for his tweets on there. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, you know, Follow us on your favorite podcasting app. You know, there's better places out there than, uh, than SoundCloud, although that's a good start. Um, so yeah, uh, like I said, the formerly number two Clemson Tigers. In fact, Clemson has now dropped to number five in the AP poll and number three in the coaches poll. And Cody, if I would have told you uh, that Clemson's played its last three games against teams from Alabama and only put up 40 on one of them, would you have guessed that that team was Alabama itself? No, I, I probably would have got some amazing odds if that were my bet. Yeah, just uh, really some some head scratchers so far this year, um, and we know a lot of Clemson fans have a little bit of concern, and that's justifiable after these first two games of the season. You know, especially with Troy. I mean, this is a team, and I want to give Troy some respect. I mean, a solid football team, well coached. They came out and played. They actually looked like the only team that wanted to win and that was on the field. Um, but come on, man! Like they panned over to the sidelines sometimes. Some of these guys didn't even have names on their jerseys. <laughs> I think they're clearly probably a top five team in the country, uh, judging by where we were ranked coming into this game. Man. Obviously. <laughs> there might be the second best team in Alabama, we'll say that. Well, and, and we had mentioned it last time, we thought that this game might be a, a bigger defensive battle for us than the Auburn game was, and I think that proved to be the case. But the offensive side of the ball is just really some head-scratching there is why this, this team and this what should be a high-powered offense really can't, offense can't get things going. Um, so before we get into it here, you know, let's give a shout out to TigerNet. It's been great to be partnering with them this year. You know, they're a wealth of information during and after the games. Uh, got in-game updates, had some good updates on uh, Ben Bullware and Hunter Renfro's injuries, and also providing, you know, halftime, showing the halftime interviews from Dabo, and then also post-game analysis and interviews from the players themselves. And then also, as we get into now playing some our, the home slate of our schedule this year, they've got a great ticket section. Cody, I'll let you talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, go to the, vis- or the ticket section of the TigerNet website, and there you can see uh, you know, place your tickets that are for sale or go find tickets, and it all keeps it within the Clemson circles. Um, I mean, you can, like, some of the prices I looked at are better or as good as better or better than, like, a StubHub. Uh, the Louisville game, like, in particular is super Super expensive, but uh, you can find some pretty good deals there. Also, a new addition to that part of the website is that you can add, um, put your name in for a t- an email notification for whichever category or the category of your choosing. So, yeah, be sure to check that out. Like you said, the home games are coming up, uh, a nice slew of them, so it's, it's a good place to check things out. Also, you can get your parking passes there as well. Yeah, so a great um, tool to have there when looking for games if you don't have season tickets or if you do have season tickets and you want to bring some friends and family along. So, Cody, let's get back to the game here. You know, this was a pretty sloppy game throughout, at least on the Clemson, well, really on both sides of the ball. Um, a very sloppy first half that saw Clemson go into the locker room up only 13-10. to 10. 
Uh, and at that point, you'd really hope that Dabo would light a fire under these guys, and they'd come out hitting on all cylinders in the second half. But uh, nothing really seemed to change. We put up zero points in the third quarter. Um, you know, at one point we're up 27 to 10 in the fourth quarter, and we don't put the game away. So that's just as concerning. Um, only 414 yards of total of offense. That wasn't really much of an improvement from the 399 we had last week. We got outrushed, in fact, 141 to 122, and Troy controlled the time of possession. They had six and a half more minutes uh, with the ball. Overall, painful game to watch. A lot of incomplete passes, a lot of cramping. Luckily, I think most of the injuries were just due to cramping because of the, the heat. Um, I think it was like four hours long, and it was just— It was more than that. It was a super long game. Painful. I, mean, I imagine I feel for the fans that were watching it in person and stayed all four quarters. They were probably severely dehydrated by the end of it and probably uh, extremely annoyed. So much of this game, before we go in and start talking about X's and O's and who played, you know, how uh, individuals played, so much had to do with the mentality, uh, the preparation going into this game, uh, the coaching, play calling— it, it's in between the years right now. It was, yeah, we didn't do so hot against Auburn, but I think we could accept that. First game jitters on the road, hostile environment. We were okay. It's we, a really good defense. It's a really good defense. But this Troy defense is no Auburn defense. No. I mean, they look pretty darn good against us. Um, but I think so much of it had to do with what we wanted to get out of this game. And it wasn't, we didn't want to come out and dominate. We wanted to come out and get people different reps. It seems like we were treating it like a scrimmage, despite the game being close throughout the first half. It seemed like more like a scrimmage than an actual game that we really wanted to win. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, Davo had said early in the week that he made some mistakes not getting some other guys in to the Auburn game, and it seemed like they really overcorrected um, in this instance. I mean, there was just too many people cycling back and forth in and out of the game. It was hard for me to keep track of who was actually in there as I'm still, you know, starting to learn the new guys' numbers uh, coming into the year, but... I mean, is that a case where, you know, cycling all those guys in and out, it really affects your rhythm? Absolutely. I mean, you think of it from a running back. We had, we well, were shuffling four different running backs. And we, you know, I talked about Gallman, how, how, how much better he's gotten, how, how improved he's been. We like Adam Choice. Tyshawn Dye looks good. And I think if they had more reps, they would look potentially better. But they're not Wayne Gallman. There is a significant drop-off. And I think Gallman had a total of nine carries. That's yeah. just not – when it's a, a one-possession game going into the third quarter. Yeah, it's, it's almost like they were acting like Troy didn't have a chance to win. It, yeah, it was uh, not the best. It, in, in it, fact, it seemed to just kind of make everyone – like no one could get into a rhythm like you said. Uh, there wasn't a lot of confidence. Every, every, it seemed like every play stalled out. You got you to gotta put your best in there and, and play them until you get a little bit more cushion, then bring in your second, third stringers. Yeah, so Dabo had a quote saying that Troy played well enough to win this game. And I would counter that by saying, no, Clemson played bad enough to lose this game. Yeah, and let's, let's not forget, I think Troy had two botched snaps, a couple of uh, interceptions three, in the first half. Three interceptions. Uh, they did have some trouble on the snaps. I mean, listen, if, if that Tyshawn die fumble doesn't get under, overturned, uh, we're looking at being down 17-13 to 13 in the fourth quarter. The, the wise Tommy Bowden said at halftime, they could be up by two scores, <laughs> talking about <laughs> Troy. Uh, it was kind of ironic. It's like that was like such a lackluster performance that was very reminiscent of the Tommy Bowden era. And uh, there he was with the call, you know, but always uh, very diplomatic uh, in the studio. Yeah, I mean, this, this Troy team came out to win the game. I mean, they banged us up. They were hitting hard, which has uh, caused a lot of the drops by some of the wide receivers. Um, they weren't afraid to line up toe-to-toe to us at all. No, I mean, they look, they look solid. I, I don't, okay, they're not the number 
five or they're not a top 10 team, but uh, they, they're probably not a bad team and we'll see how the year plays out and I'll be interested to follow them and, and obviously Auburn, any of all of our opponents and see so we can better calibrate and understand, you know, how good these teams really are, but it's definitely not a bad team, better than a Wake Forest, maybe even like a Syracuse, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, Troy did have a very impressive game last week against Austin P, where they put up over 700 yards of total offense, but listen, Austin P didn't win a game last year, so... You know, that's not a very good barometer for how good Troy is now coming into the game against Clemson. They played really well on both sides of the ball. Now, part of that was due to the to the ineptitude of Clemson's offense, for sure, and a lot of the bonehead plays uh, we made. I mean, namely, that Ray Ray McLeod uh, dropped uh, on the punt return for a touchdown where he dropped it. He dropped it before he even stepped into the end zone. Yeah, I mean, you said namely. We could say namely, like, quite a few things, but... Would you have... Would you have benched him for the rest of the game for that? I know, I, listen, I know he went on to have a fantastic game. He led all wide receivers um, in yardage. And I know, you know, benching him maybe hurts his ego and you don't want to stymie his growth. But what about setting an example for the rest of the team? Because the rest of the team didn't seem to get it the whole game. I, I think an example was set. And it was one, when you're down, you don't you don't take your dog after it pees on the floor and put its head in it for 30 seconds. You... You let the dog know he did wrong, and then you move on. You pick the guy up. I think the message that was sent was, hey, we're going to make mistakes. All his, all his teammates went over to support him, lift him up. I thought it was a really good moment. I mean, Ray McLeod, he's a good kid. He's not stupid. He, know, he knows how bad of a screw-up that was. He, he's going to relive that on SportsCenter. He's going to remember that till the day he dies, I promise. The, the fear and the, the frustration with his performance, it, trust me, it's, it's there. The fact that we were able to lift him up and not only – have him make a few plays in the second half, but just to set the example that, hey, you, you, mistakes are okay. Just learn from them, improve from them. That, that was the message sent. I, I see what you're saying about being kind of playing the, uh, the hard coaching card and, you know, set an example, but I, I tend to disagree. And going back to the coaching here a little bit, you know, it's easy to say if you have one or two things go wrong, one or two weaknesses throughout a game to kind of pinpoint certain position groups or pinpoint certain individuals as to why maybe the team isn't playing up to their potential. But again, I think this game is squarely on the coaching because of all the things that are going wrong. When you have this much talent and they're underperforming, that's on the coaches. When you have guys that look like they're afraid to get hit and receivers dropping passes, that's on the coaches. When you turn the ball over five times in two games and have guys dropping the ball before they even get into the end zone, that's on the coaches. I mean, my fear is that this team no longer has a chip on their shoulder and they've developed a bit of an ego. I don't know what it is. I, I certainly think the weight of expectations is kicking in. And the team that had this whole identity last year was chip on your shoulder. No one believes in you. You know, shock the world. They don't, they're not playing like that. On defense, it, let's, let's make the, that distinction very clear. On defense, we look good. And we'll talk more about players on defense later. But we're, we're just as good as, almost as good as last year, potentially, on defense. We'll, we'll talk about that. But it's offense. And, that, and on defense, you can be more instinctive. You don't have to think as much. You just... See ball, go get ball. You know, there's there's a little bit more nuance, but the point is, on offense, it's a little bit more calculated. You have to, you have to, especially at the quarterback position, you have to make quick decisions. You have to really process things. There's some hesitation, but going back to what you said, weight, weight, um, the weight of expectations, a little bit of a not having that chip on your shoulder. It's totally, and I don't blame it all on coaching. You said a lot of it's coaching. Certainly, it's leadership. It's getting your guys comfortable in the locker room, poised to go out the next Saturday. But it's a lot of the players. I mean, Deion Kane should not be dropping three balls. Hunter Renfro shouldn't be dropping a slant right, right across right. the but middle. But what I'm saying, when it's all these guys doing these things and not just one or two guys, that's when it goes back to 
coaching, that's when it goes back to, uh, honestly, a team not being prepared or looking like they even want to be there to play the game. I mean, I'll ask you this question. Do you think, I mean, even with the defense, you mentioned how, they, yeah, they've played well, but they've also had some fourth quarter letdowns the past two games. Do you think this team has a killer instinct right now? I think the defense, it's there. I, I think the defense will be just fine, which is, I mean, do we think this would be the, the narrative two weeks ago? This is kind of crazy that we're saying this. I think the defense is fine. They, they spent too much time on the field in 90-degree heat, which probably felt like 100-degree heat. Um, they did were able to rotate some guys. I think that's both good and bad because you're you know you're not putting your all all your good in there, but at the same time, at least they got you know they got some rest. Uh, I, I think the killer instinct is there. I'm I'm very confident in the defense. Well, I mean, is in the team as a whole, and it wasn't was it 90 or 100 degrees at Auburn? It wasn't. It was nighttime, so I think it was a little bit cooler. But it was 90 degrees. The humidity made it feel like 100 in Death Valley. Here's the thing. All right, let's let's start it with Deshaun Watson, right? Because that's where it starts. It, and by the way, yeah, there were some mistakes. I'm totally a big believer, and games aren't played on paper. There's so much within the game. Uh, momentum plays, uh, a little, the, the bad things that compound themselves, this, that, this snowball. It's very important from the first opening drive against Auburn, where we stalled out, we went th- third and five, just a really piss-poor play call in my opinion. It's important that you set the tone early. And for one, I think it all started with Deion Kane dropping a ball, a deep ball, if you go back, I watched the first half. You go back, Deshaun Watson was not that bad in the first half. He was actually pretty solid. Deion Kane dropped two balls. Mike Williams, you know, inexplicable, kind of a, ba- a, a bad play where he, his foot went out of bounds on that little, where he came, he came back in bounds, made a great catch. Um, yeah, sure, there was an interception. There were some bad plays, but all in all, he did not have a horrible first half. It's just bad plays compounding bad plays. So what, what is the solution? Well, but, but then the concerning thing is, do you think it got into his head? And why is there an inability for him now being in the system for three years? And we already know the kind of kid he is. He's a smart kid. He's a smart football player. And he's supposed to have this poise. Are, are we seeing a lack of that if things aren't going right from the get-go? Absolutely. And it, it, that's something you haven't seen from him. But you, you look at the first, I think it was the first drive of the second half. They look good on the first, the first set of downs. And then Hunter Renfro can't catch a ball. Deion Kane, you know, ball kind of went out of his hands. Artavis Scott drops a ball he shouldn't have dropped. The next, and then he starts pressing. It's like, a, like you're, playing, you're playing golf. You can't find your swing. One, one, one bad shot compounds to the next, and then it just you're all in between the years from that point on. And I think that's what's happening to Deshaun Watson a little bit. Well, for me, that's when I step at the first tee box, but <laughs> <laughs> that's another story. Um, we haven't seen this from Deshaun up to this point in his career. No, we right. haven't, and it looked like his decision-making is even lacking. He doesn't have a lot of confidence in it. I saw him double-clutching a lot on passes, like he wasn't ready to pull the trigger. You know, two interceptions in this, in this game, only 5.5 yards a pass. He had a 36.5 QBR, which is his lowest quarterback ranking ever. He was overthrowing receivers a lot, had a lot of balls getting batted down at the line. I mean, he looks slow. I mean, his escapability doesn't seem to be the same as it used to be. Is part of it some of this weight that he's put on in muscle? Is it really kind of been a negative on his game? I think, I mean, that's maybe a part of a it. A negative effect? So here, okay, here's my, here's, I, here's the whole recipe to why this is not going right and why, what we could do to make it better. I, it starts with Deshaun Watson running the ball. He's not running the ball. It's such a integral part of our offense from the time Taj Boyd stepped in to when Cole Stout tried to take over. He just didn't have that aspect of his game. This system needs a dual threat quarterback. It needs a playmaker at the quarterback position, a guy that you have to fear can run the ball. And for Deshaun Watson, 
you look at last year, we, we didn't get him involved early on. Part of that was his recovering knee. Part of that was we started realizing we could rely on Wayne Gallman. Well, teams know that Deshaun Watson's trying to step back and be a pocket passer. He, he looks like he's having an NFL audition. He doesn't look like he's trying to win a Heisman and win a championship. Not to take anything away from him. I think his head's probably in the right place. And, you know, it's, it's fair that he wants to, you know, potentially earn $100 million someday. So I, I don't like, you know, I don't fault him for that. But he needs to be in a position, and the coaching staff needs to put him in a position where he can run the ball and make plays out of instinct and not sit back in the pocket for, you know, four or five seconds and, you know, Wait, you know, hopefully find a guy downfield. I don't know if the receivers are are opening up and, and, and getting separation. I don't know what the deal is, but he he went down so many times, ended up throwing out the ball out of bounds, took some hits from pass rushers. But even when he is taken off and running, he's not getting away from anybody. Like his mobility and quickness is just not the same as it was last year. At least it doesn't appear to be. I mean, he could be a step slower, but I don't, I don't ever think he was you know Lamar Jackson or Nick Marshall in terms of his. Uh, his elusiveness he was never a burner by any means it was just his knack for finding those when he saw the pocket collapse he could find where the 10 yards lied uh the 10 yards lied um another part too is just bob being instinctive is going to the legs and going to them sooner not waiting for the pocket to collapse because you don't have to go for a run something he's very good at is making passes uh once the pocket collapses making them on the run he, we saw that again uh, hunter Renfro rolling to his left that, that was a nfl level pass just keep Put him in a situation, and I don't care. I know, I know. There's a risk of injury, and it's it's fair that the coaching staff wants to protect against that. You know, you don't want him going down with a, an injury against Troy. But you got to make the offense move when it's a six point game or it's a three point game in the third quarter. You got to run the ball. And whenever we did use him as a running back, like we did against Oklahoma, they couldn't stop us. Yeah, I it's mean, completely different we, offense. We're we're used to, and again, this is maybe where we're spoiled as Clemson fans, but we're used to this offense just being able to get the ball and drive down the field on anybody. They did it against Alabama. But now this year, we're stalling, and we have no confidence whatsoever. Listen, as good as we were on third down last year, we were 8 of 20 in this game against Troy after going 6 uh, for 17 against Auburn. And to be honest, we're just not in a lot of makeable third down situations. It, it seems like we have a lot of negative plays. We have a lot of third and longs. Again, it, you spoke to it about the receivers. It, they weren't getting open in the Auburn game, and it didn't really appear like they were getting too open here in the Troy game either. I, I mean, that's part of it, and it, maybe it's, it's Deshaun Watson trying to be he's, – he's calculating, he's taking too much time to think, and he wants to make the perfect pass. He wants to find the, you know, the guy that gets just enough separation. And before you know it, Troy, you know, Troy's defensive line is looking like Auburn's defensive line, and that's, they're, they're not that good. They shouldn't be in the backfield getting that kind of penetration. So – for me, it's it's he needs to be ready to use those legs, and uh, yeah, he's gonna escape escape the pocket, make some make some nice plays, but they need to get back to the zone read, those run options to Wayne Gallman, because we can't establish any kind of between the tackles run game. There's just those yards aren't there. We become very predictable. When this offense becomes predictable, really easy to defend. When you give them that element of a dual threat dual threat quarterback, Alabama can't stop it. It's, it's night and day difference. Now, we mentioned these wide receivers, and honestly, he didn't get a lot of help from them either. We talked about the drops. There were seven passes dropped all day. Again, looks uh, looked to be having trouble getting open. Uh, Ray Ray McLeod, on the other hand, you know, say what you want about that punt return and dropping the ball. He looked great receiving. He had seven catches for 86 yards on the day, uh, led the team. Looked really elusive. Could have been his best game so far as a Clemson Tiger. He looked good. They used him the right way. We, I, I had some 
some complaints on the way they were using him against Auburn. Uh, they did the same with Artavis. They did a lot of jet, uh, some jet sweeps. They tried to get him on the outside, screen passes, make let him make plays in space. And sure enough, he did. We we were getting seven yards pretty much at will whenever we went to those plays. Uh, we, we even used Gallman, I think, on a few of those uh, little little out routes or whatever you want to call them um, around the perimeter. So yeah, Gallman was the third leading leading receiver in catches on the day with three. You know, Scott had seven, so he got some more of those touches that we didn't see against Auburn. But then after that, Williams only two, Kane only two, although he should have had a few more. Renfro with an unusual drop pass. Leggett, you know, he only caught one. I think he had a drop. I mean, it, you know, like they say, it's contagious. So definitely an issues with the receiving core. It's not just Deshaun Watson. And again, we're, and this is maybe just us projecting that we had the best quarterback in the country and the best wide receiving core in the country, just as Clemson homers, Clemson fans. But I think if you take a step back going into the season, there's a legitimate case to be made for that. Right now, it doesn't look to be so. I, don't, I mean, I don't think so. There's, he's not the best quarterback in the ACC right now, but it's not to say that things can't be corrected, but it's not going to start with him being more accurate in his passing. I mean, yeah, granted, these wide receivers need to make some catches. Deion Kane, like, come on, man. Get, get, get your act together. You're a great player. You're a great talent. Some of those balls you just got to catch. Uh, one of those in the end zone, I think it was underthrown by Deshaun Watson, but I think Deion Kane Still got to go up and get the ball, man. I, I, he has enough ability. He should come down with that. And, and Hunter Renfro on his little slant route that he dropped, I mean, he did. He heard, he heard some footsteps. Maybe he was a little bit injured. But those are the type of things, if, if those catches are made and there's no reason they shouldn't have been, Deshaun Watson's stat line looks a lot better. Uh, you, and then you get confidence, and there's something to be said for g- getting that confidence and let that be uh, kind, of, kind of what compounds itself as opposed to the negative spiral. So speaking of Hunter Renfro, you know, if not for a hit two unbelievable catches by him we're 0-2 this year I mean let's talk about that he two great throws by Deshaun Watson Watson absolutely but what great catches by Renfro he's a terrific receiver I I mean that was a great catch yeah I mean I think we we were managing that game we would have came we would have come out with a win one way or the other against Troy but uh but yeah I mean we can't keep relying on Hunter Renfro to win us win us games no I mean more guys are going to have to step up it's going to have to be a team effort and with so much talent that we have and again they were cycling. Powell got in there. Cornell Powell. We saw Trevion Thompson get in there and drop some balls. I think DeAndre Overton got in there, too, and got some playing time, which was shocking. We thought he might redshirt going into this year. But moral of the story here, the wide receivers really need to uh, step up. Another position group that really needs to step up on this offense is the offensive line. We thought they had a chance to be really good this year, but they're not blocking at all. They, they don't seem to have gelled. And the question is, has the loss of leadership of Eric McLean really affected this, this unit? It's, it's hard to say because, look, you're, you did lose Eric McLean, but the guy that replaced him is Taylor Hearn. He graded out. I think he was the offensive lineman of the week. Uh, so and we, I had a little criticism on the interior line and establishing a, a run game and, and run blocking, and that wasn't great. But it's not on Taylor Hearn, the guy that's replacing Eric McLean. But maybe to your point, you're still figuring out cohesion and how to gel with you know among the offensive linemen picking up us you know blitzes and things like that that's that's a that's where the nuance comes in where it takes a little bit of chemistry and there I think they're still finding that the one thing I don't quite understand is how we can't find three yards in the run game against Troy and yeah that is shocking yeah I mean there's guys even in the passing game though like the pockets collapsing there's guys coming from everywhere Mitch Hyatt's getting beat yeah I I mean at one point he got demoted in favor of uh, Tremaine Ankrum I don't. Was he demoted or just replaced? Well, replaced, so to speak, but because he wasn't playing well. Yeah, I mean, it's t- it's tough to pick up these blitzes, and again, you're playing the guy next to you. You gotta, 
you know, have that familiarity and the, and the continuity. And, and part of it, too, is they play against offensive line. Now they're playing different competition. You're, they're getting different looks. They'll get better. I, and I think they got better last year as the season went on. Um, part of it, too, though, like when the offense is stalling out and they're doing – like, why are we why, why are we turning to a pro-stall offense where Deshaun Watson's just become a pocket passer? I mean, I know why. It serves the purpose of keeping him healthy and also giving him an NFL audition. But let's let's let him be what he was against Alabama, and I think everything else will take care of itself. Well, and the play calling has been pretty questionable. You talk about the type of offense we're running and then how we're responding to these new looks we're getting. You know, Elliot and Scott have been talking about these new looks and schemes from Kevin Steele. Funny how both our first games are against former <laughs> uh, Clemson defensive coordinators. Uh, between Kevin Steele and Vic Coning, um, and they're saying that that's been giving the offense a little bit of trouble, which makes me question their creativity and their ability to adapt to people starting to figure out this type of offense that we run. I think part of it is concealing the playbook. Maybe these guys, like I think, yeah, certainly Kevin Steele knew what he was doing against Clemson. He had a great, uh, some great perspective from, from being inside of that locker room. So I think he knew what to, what to look at. Again, it goes back to Deshaun Watson being one-dimensional. We're not a pro-style offense. Quit trying to be. Yeah, you don't want to hurt Deshaun Watson, but you got to open up that run game. And I think too, it's we got to the point. We have one more game now before if we perform like this against Georgia Tech, we'll most likely lose. You got to pull out all that. Like, quit concealing the playbook. Pull out all the stops. I will say, I think the play calling was better. They did a lot more on the perimeter. We could, we had something to go to there. Drive still stalled out because of interceptions and, and things execution. like that. Poor across, execution across the board. You can't have. There's football again. It's not played on paper. There's something. They need confidence in that locker room more than anything right now. Open it all up. Let them get comfortable. Let Deshaun Watson look like Deshaun Watson. I, I'm going to be really disappointed if they don't just come out like they're playing a championship game against South Carolina State. I know that sounds crazy, but we saw what happened against Troy. We saw what happened against Auburn. Like you, you yeah, can't, you don't conceal the playbook when you're playing a tight game. <laughs> right. Like you got, and, and and you saw them throw that out the window when they had to throw the ball to Christian Wilkins down there on the goal line because we can't get it in against Troy. If you had told me what kind of odds can I have gotten on Christian Wilkins uh, being you know, tied for the lead in recept- or touchdown receptions, I guess he's number two behind Renfro. I guess uh, and Wilkins wasn't kidding when he's coming after Deshaun Watson's job when he <laughs> said that earlier this week. Yeah, go, so South Carolina State, and we'll talk a little bit more about Troy, but in this game, it, it is of the utmost importance that we say, screw it, screw what you had in mind about keeping Deshaun Watson healthy, throw it all out the window. We're playing Oklahoma. It's the second half. It's the Orange Bowl. The season's on the line because if you can't find some – it's dysfunctional right now. If you can't find some confidence and let that breed into more confidence, it's not going to look good against Georgia Tech. Yeah. It's not going to be a fun road game. Well, especially turning it around pretty quickly, short turnaround for a Thursday game. I totally agree with you. I think these guys need to get in rhythm, and you're not going to get in rhythm if you're just keeping it vanilla, right? You need to – they need to play how they anticipate playing the rest of the season against this better competition – so I think South Carolina State, we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but I think this is an opportunity where they can't, you know, don't let it slip by. You need to get on the same page because you cannot expect that that's going to happen against Georgia Tech. Exactly. Or you got could be in for a rude awakening in Atlanta. It's, you can't, yeah, we've seen this in the Tommy Bowden era. You can't just think that you're going to turn a light switch on from one game to the next. Performance has to be consistent. Guys have to feel confident. They don't feel confident. They're the they're greatest leader the greatest maybe the best player in the nation is not playing like it and you got to get him confident and it's not going to happen by making precise passes and precise passes in the pocket it's going to happen because he's going to look like he did against uh against Oklahoma in the second half of the Orange Bowl 
And what happened the next game against Alabama? Piggybacked that into an even greater performance. It's got to start against South Carolina State. Yeah, and, and listen, the bottom line here is, and the coaches have acknowledged as, as much, that there's no tempo, there's no rhythm, and the guys just aren't executing. You know, there's a stat everybody's throwing out there that I think uh, Clemson's last 11 games, uh, going back to last year prior to the Auburn game, they, were, they had over 500 yards of offense in every one of those 11 games. Now, I take that with a grain of salt. We haven't hit 500 this year, yes, but that was all last year. This is a brand new season. If we get 11 games, if we had gotten 11 games into this year going 500 or more every game and then started shooting below that, I'd be a little more concerned. So that being said, I still have confidence. We haven't seen it yet, but it's early in the season. You know, it's still not time to panic. I think this team is going to be able to get it together. There's just too much talent on the offensive side of the ball for them to keep playing like this. I, I can I kind of go both ways on that. I feel like things will improve, but will they improve enough and how soon? Because one loss in the ACC could be your undoing. And Louisville is, we'll talk about them later. They're a little bit better than we thought. Lamar Jackson is, I think, a tremendous quarterback. You, you got you to gotta get your ducks in a row, and you got to do it quickly. We saw Ohio State last year. Um, they had just as much talent as anyone. They couldn't put it together. Uh, you saw Florida State the year before. It was more or less the same team. They missed a few pieces. They couldn't put it together. They looked so lackluster. And I don't know what's going on, but I think you have one more game <laughs> to, to let, allow the team to feel some, some chemistry, to let Deshaun Watson feel like Deshaun Watson. So make it happen. Deshaun, you're, you're, you're gonna, if, you're, if you're, you're playing like you're not trying to lose something, then you're not going to end up being the number one pick. So just well, and up be yourself. The, and up until this point, you're certainly, you may not even get on the Heisman ballot playing like this. So, as many questions we have about the offense and how disappointed and reasonably so, I think, a lot of Clemson fans are with how they've played so far this year. On the bright side, the defense has been playing above our expectations so far. You know, like we thought this game against Troy was a tougher test, it looked like, than we had against Auburn. This defense played well early. So, a little bit of concern because it did seem like we were giving up some yards on some big plays. Some turnovers by Troy kind of, you know, kept us in it or kept them out of it, maybe. But again, another shaky fourth quarter. Yeah, and I, I don't put too much on the defense. I th again, I think they were they spent way too much time on the field because too many of our offensive drives stalled out. Um, it shouldn't be like that. We should be able to manage the clock better. We should be able to exhaust the clock with our run game. But because we couldn't, uh, the defense was on the field. They were rotating a lot of you know second stringers, and in some case third stringers in. So I don't think it was the best defensive product that you're going to see. All in all, though, I, I think this is a, has the makings of a really good de another really good defense. There's some playmakers that we can lean on, and it's it's not quite like your 2014 defense where I think every almost every position was just really really good players, really good athletes. Uh, not quite like that. I think you got some some kind of uh, steady Eddie type guys in the in the secondary, but at the line of scrimmage at linebacker, you got some playmakers, man. Dexter Lawrence, wow, I, I had no idea. Well, and Kristen Wilkins at that in position, he's playing amazing. Between him and Watkins and Lawrence, that, that D-line is dominating. I don't know about you. I didn't see a lot of Cleveland Farrell in this game. He, was, he, he did play. Well, they, I, I saw Juergen in there some more. They gave Juergen quite a few reps. Uh, he didn't look like kind of a similar story against Auburn. He's a great athlete. He's, he's, I think he's figuring out how to play football again because it's, yeah. it's been two years. Uh, he's kind of out of place. He's not getting a lot of... Uh, pressure on the quarterback necessarily. We're going to need that when we play Francois and Lamar Jackson. We're going to need him a lot. Yeah, and there's you know there's a good push up the middle. Pagano played well too. He though was jumping some snaps. 
um, at time, and he got at least one offsides uh, penalty. But, yeah, I, th- I still think as well as they're playing the defensive line does need to get a little bit more penetration. Right. I mean, I, a big thing, and I, what gives me confidence with this defense is Christian Wilkins, as good as he's looked at strong side defensive end, and I imagine they'll keep moving him out there. But when Austin Bryant gets back, I think he's even better. He's just got a little bit more speed, uh, can probably potentially make better plays in space. And you're going to allow Christian Wilkins to move into that three technique where he can you know, get that same penetration from the inside. That, then it becomes, in my opinion, probably a top 20, maybe top 15 defense. Uh, we'll, and we'll see against greater competition. But I think you'll need that, that type of speed against like a Lamar Jackson, uh, Dalvin Cook. It, it, I think it bodes well for us. So in, in addition to getting Bryant back, I think the other thing that's going to have to happen for this defense to achieve that top 20, top 15 level is I think the defensive backs are still going to have to play a little bit better. I saw a lot of DVs, DVs uh, in coverage playing with their backs to the ball in this game. Saw it at a Van Smith, saw it at a Mark Fields, even Tank a time or two, I think, on Tank's pass inter- interference call. So to what extent is, is that a concern right now because you know Troy had some success at times throwing the ball and we had some pass interference calls I yeah you know a couple of the passes uh, if you remember that one over that got past Jadar Johnson I mean it was pretty good coverage it was a miraculous catch in the first quarter um Van Smith looks a little bit I don't want to say slow I think he's got great instincts he's certainly not TJ Green in terms of that 4-3 speed uh, so he's going to have to be very uh, make a lot of the right plays and be in the right position to, you know, kind of mitigate his lack of you know elite speed. Uh, so that was a little bit worrisome, but I think for the most part I like that he's in position. Uh, I didn't see a lot of Mark Fields, you know, Marcus Edmond. You know, he he got a lot of playing time. We're, we're going to call him Muscles from now on. I'm pretty sure he's he's up to 200 now, right? Are you being facetious? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he looks like he's like 145 soaking wet. Yeah, but he, he got the start. So we'll see more. I mean, I don't think we really got uh, stretched too much in the, defen- uh, in the secondary. A big part of that's going to go back to Cleveland Farrell, getting Austin Bryant back, allowing Wilkins to, to you know, get move inside and getting pressure up the middle or getting, getting a pass rush. Yeah, and then out of our linebackers, man, you know, at times they played really well in this game. They had three interceptions as a group. Um, a lot of guys cycling in and out of there, so I didn't really get a good tell um, on how everybody was playing per se. I'd have to go back and watch the tape. One concerning thing is uh, Ben Bulware goes down with what appeared to be an ankle injury. We don't know yet if it's a sprain or not. Hopefully we'll get a better idea of that today. But you know, going forward, if, if we lose him for any extended period of time, especially with the Georgia Tech game looming and that offense that they run, same thing with Louisville, high-powered offense, could we be in trouble? I mean, yeah, it's, I think that's one position where it's kind of a drop-off. I don't, I'm not sure if, if Kendall Joseph, I, I feel like he would have the skill set to play at outside linebacker or the will, will spot. I don't know if he's cross-trained in the spring. I think he would be the next viable option in moving Trey Lamar uh, into Mike, at starting Mike position. I mean, Shaq Smith's not ready. Maybe they move Jalen Williams there. He's looked okay. I don't think that's the guy you want to roll with all year, but – I think there's definitely a drop-off, and not just to mention, I mean, he's the, he's the heart and soul of the defense. There's something to be said for just the enthusiasm, the passion that he brings. It kind of permeates to the rest of the, the defense. Um, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a big loss. Well, maybe a quick bit on Kendall Joseph. Another game where he just shows yeah. tremendous instincts. He's, he's always at the ball. Uh, he shows good lateral quickness. Again, something we didn't necessarily have last year. We didn't as much of that with B.J. Goodson. So uh, that's certainly a bright spot. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot to look forward to and a lot to be excited about out of this linebacker group. And we actually have some depth this year with you know some guys starting to emerge. I, I still think losing Boulware for an extended period of time is going to hurt this team, like you said, from the leadership um, perspective. Uh, but other than maybe doing a little bit better in coverage, and they're going to get picked apart more when we play some better passing teams, and that's, again, another one of my concerns about the secondary in general, is when we play a team like Louisville or a team like Florida State who is going to throw the ball more, I, I think that's when we're really going to be tested for the first time, and you're going to see if there are any uh, major holes in this defense. I think so, and I, I think... It'll be we haven't utilized at least I haven't paid a whole lot of attention we'll say to how Venables is moving into like dime packages I know he's done a few of those uh, what kind of uh, who he pulls into the box in terms of like nickel coverage it's been Corin Wiggins from what I've seen a little bit of Jalen Williams surprisingly Dorian Daniels not getting those reps but I really like Wiggins I don't know if he has the coverability of like a you know I think we were able to pull a lot of guys in there last year uh, in the secondary. Uh, Mac was in there at one point. It doesn't get any better than Mac Alexander. But uh, it, it's going to be a little bit of a drop-off, but I do like Corn Wiggins more so than like a Travis Blanks. Ryan Carter got some playing time yesterday. He was around the ball a few times. Um, again, a lot of guys. Kevon Wallace. Kevon Wallace made it in there. And Trayvon Mullen got into the game too. So I mean, those guys are players. Maybe not yeah. yet. Maybe they're not there yet, but they, they, they look good, man. They'll be ready to go next year. And, and again, you know, just as on the offense, same thing on the defense, a lot of guys cycling in and out throughout this game. I think that affects your rhythm, rhythm less when you're on defense because you're more reacting to the, the opposing offense's rhythm. But it will be interesting to see going into the South Carolina State game if this remains the case. I would think definitely on the on the defensive side of the ball, they're going to still get a lot of guys in. Offense, I don't wonder if maybe they keep the first teamers out there a little bit longer just so they can get see if they can prove if they can get something going against inferior competition. Right. I think you that it was a flawed strategy. You just kind of got to bite the bullet. You can't be rotating guys in there until the game is in hand. I hope they treat the first half of the game against South Carolina State like a championship game, and that's. Go into it thinking like that. And then, yeah, in the second half, hopefully we have a few... Maybe just a game they want to play in. <laughs> yeah, or that, yeah. <laughs> and then, But hopefully in the second half, then you can start rotating in your second and fourth string running back, for example, or uh, and same with like your tight ends and you know, offensive linemen, all of that. So you, you got to... I mean, it'd be good to see get Kelly Bryant in there too. Uh, Nick Schusler, give them some reps. Yeah, we thought we can't had, do that with a three-point lead. No, though. we thought we were going to get to see him uh, coming into this game, but it wasn't even close to, to being the case. Um, so that that about wraps it up for the defense. Again, who would have thought coming into this year that the offense would be the question mark? Two games in, and the defense would be the bright spot. Who who knew? Who knew? Man, one bit on Dexter Lawrence. I talked about how good he was. I just want to glow a little bit more on, on just how good he is and how surprised I am that he's able to be this much of an asset this soon uh, he brings something that n no one else has I mean that size that speed he's still learning how to play the position I feel like leverage is a big thing for him he can he can tend to get beat if a guy will you know get under his pads and if he is if he, I mean six four so it's pad level sometimes remains high but man when he does find the leverage he is unstoppable well and I think two games into his college career here he's already the best blocker on the offense <laughs> yeah. he's got Jordan Leggett beat that's for sure yeah um okay so again we never would have thought this that the offense and the defensive script would have been flipped uh, one thing that we did have question marks coming into the season and that we still have question marks about is the special teams oh god 
The only good part about the special teams uh, against Auburn was Andy Teasdall had a good day punting. Uh, that cannot be said about the game against Troy. I don't know what the heck was going on there. He had one decent punt maybe, I think, went 49 yards off of balance. But in, in that situation, he failed to get it stuck within the, you know, between the uh, past the 20. Um, other than that, you know, some dying ducks. They were coming off the side of his foot. What the hell was going on? I think it could be mental. Uh, part of Dabo, I, I don't know, maybe he did a lot of fire under everyone at halftime, but he seemed like he was poised because he could tell they were playing like a team that was just fearful. They didn't want to make mistakes. And it seemed like it leaked over into special teams, and including Teasdall and his punting, because that's inexplicable. Like, it's one thing to be a field goal kicker and you you know, you know get the shanks or whatever. It's another thing to not be able to punt the ball like without kicking it off the side of your foot. Uh, I, I think that's a case of, again, snowball effect of just errors compounding errors and then it leaking over into Teasdall. Listen, we've got a national championship contending soccer team. <laughs> can you not go find somebody off of there that can kick the ball I know with people, confidence? I know people say, oh, no, it's different. It's a round ball versus a pointy ball. But I'm pretty sure that I could kick a 35-yard or a 35-yard punt. I, I disagree with that, but... We'll go out in the backyard here later and see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll do it. We'll record that, put it on uh, Facebook Live. No, so seriously, a soccer player could come in and kick a 40-yard punt. First time ever, I'm pretty sure. Well, being so, pretty sure doesn't make us experts, but, you know, it, it, it is... This is where we're fans. It, we're, not, we're definitely not experts. It is. It's still... It, what we're saying is it's a big concern that they haven't got this ironed out and they at least haven't been able to find consistency. The bright spot from today was Greg Hugel booting the ball into and out of the back of the end zone. Um, that was fantastic to see. He looked great, and then you couple that with his field goals. I think he looked pretty reliable there and poised. Uh, you know, in between 15 and I guess like 45 yards, he's pretty. You uh, can't do anything below that, and uh, and more than that, it gets it gets a little shaky. But I'm that's his that's his sweet spot. I'm still on the fence about his field goals and his extra points. They don't look like conf confident kicks, even when they go in. I, I had to go back and look. It seemed like some were low yesterday. Maybe some were hooking there at the end. Some were a little fluttery. It, you know, I know he's a career 86.5% field goal kicker, so I don't know why we still have this concern about him being able to hit the field goal or why Dabo didn't have him kick at the end of the Auburn game. Again, you know, maybe that has to do with a long snapper, but still, I'm... I think I need to see some more out of him still to be confident that if a game's on the line that he's going to be able to hit a kick to win it for us. So I'm the guy that tracks physiques. You track ball action from field goal kickers. That's yeah, like, that's like your thing. I want to see how confident their kicks are, man. I mean, if you just have low line drives, those are going to end up being blocked, especially in the longer field goals. So I want to see a guy and kick it confidently. Ray Ray McLeod. I know we turned at what I think a potential negative when he did what he did into a positive when he came back and he made some some big plays in the return game well and the fact that he went out and it seemed like he almost took another one to the house after that and i was hoping to see him just run out the back of the end zone and you know put the ball against the wall i was doing my lebron james <laughs> uh, stomp there when i saw that you know again you can question whether or not i know people a lot of people ask this about whether he should have been sat for the rest of the game ultimately probably a good decision uh, especially for his confidence to put him back out there. He had a great effect uh, on the rest of the game, not only on special teams, but on the offensive side of the ball, leading receiver. So hopefully he is the question mark in that return game. I think we saw Feaster get a kick return. Um, 
other than that, I don't think we took a mini out of the end zone. Maybe you did, but there was nothing dynamic happening in the kick return game. But no, absolutely. That was an exciting moment for, uh, for the punt return team. And even though it didn't end, ultimately end up in a touchdown, at least like things are shining a little bit brighter on that part of the game. Absolutely. I, I think he, we knew all along he's the answer. He's the guy that can make you miss in space, man. And he's, he's still a little bit small, but like he does have enough elusiveness to where he can make a few people miss. He could change a game, a big game, a game of more uh, consequence down the road. Fortunately, this game had a little bit too much of that, but um, I, I feel really good. And yeah, Dabo could have, he could have, you know, pulled out the uh, the iron fist and said, "You're you're you know, you're benched for the second half." But he didn't. It, I think he'll carry this momentum of you know making up for that. And and again, his play in the wide receiver as a wide receiver, so carry that into the rest of the season. And he did field a few punts too that were kind of shallow and he ran I mean in traffic he made the catch yeah there was one where he ran out to catch it scared me a little bit but hey I mean you're right he made the catch and didn't let it go bouncing another 20 30 yards all right Cody so let's let's wrap this game up here with our final thoughts you know I I mentioned leading into it that uh we Clemson has dropped to number five in the AP poll three in the coaches at this point in this in the season after two games from what you've seen where do you have them ranked where I have them ranked, or where the AP poll has them ranked, and are we talking about potential, or are we talking about just where they stack up no, right now in, in this moment in, in time? In your mind, and, and AP poll coaches pull aside, in your mind, looking at how the other teams have played so far, the other highly ranked teams have played so far this season, versus how Clemson has played so far this season, and considering the opponents, the quality of opponents that we played, where do you have this team ranked? I can't be in the top 10. It has to be. We're not a t- we have not performed like a top Maybe not even a top 25 team, to be honest. Okay, but but a lot of other teams haven't either. I mean, there's been a lot of sloppy football. This past weekend w- was definitely one of those. For, for me, I've got them at number eight right now. I have them certainly behind Alabama, Florida State, Ohio State, Michigan, from what I've seen. I've got them behind Houston. Um, I've got them behind Louisville at this point. Um, That's and, crazy to say. Yeah. and Third I, best team no, in I the, They are playing like the third best team in the ACC right now, so... I think that's where I've gotten them. Again, a lot of other shaky play by some other teams, but after what I've seen so far, I push them back to eighth. I think that's fair, and I think if you can still give them a top ten ranking because of potential, look, this team has the makings of another top four playoff contender. Yeah, listen, okay. This team ultimately still ranked fifth in the country in the AP. They've got 17 consecutive home wins. Uh, This was their 39th win against an unranked opponent. They haven't lost a regular season game since well, November fifteenth, two thousand fourteen. Now, what I'm saying is that's dating back to other teams. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, it's but it's still the program, it's still the cu- culture and history of what's going on, and they still haven't lost a game this season. So, yeah, we can take a small window and look at two games and think that doom and gloom. Oh man, this team isn't playing like we thought they would. We're not going to do as well as we thought they would this season. But we're only two games into a very young season. There's a lot of time to grow and develop. And every single one of this team's goals is still attainable this year. That's the bright side. Would you say this is Davos' toughest coaching uh, year or, or it, it could, task that it he's could seen be so with far? All the expectations leading up into this season because he's never had this before. And we started preseason thirteen last year, and no one really gave yeah. us a legitimate shot to make the playoff until about halfway through the year. Right, and you start this year at number two. You only have one spot to move up, but you have an infinite amount to go back. Yeah, so. You know, listen, we've seen teams start off the season and struggle a little bit, 
and then eventually gel, work out the kinks, and become very great teams. Alabama has done this in the past. I'm not saying that we're in Alabama right now, but I'm saying it can happen. I still don't think it's time to panic. You know, if we look like this against South Carolina State, I'm, I'm going to panic a little bit. Well, well, yes, then it will be time to panic, but I really don't see that happening. You know, listen, after our first two games last year where we beat decently Troy and Wofford, we went on a stretch there where we didn't really blow people away. It wasn't until we went down to Miami and got Mark Rick a new job that this <laughs> team really, you know, blew somebody away. So, listen, in a few weeks, if we're 5-0 and and we're coming off of wins over Georgia Tech and Atlanta and a really good Louisville team, we'll have forgotten about these first two games against Auburn and Troy. Yeah, it's not really that dissimilar from last year. Like you said, when we went into Louisville, the, uh, we didn't look good. We looked shaky. Uh, quarterback was John, Deshaun Watson was kind of shaky at that point. Only difference is expectations, and it's completely different. Um, I still take this though. I take it as a bad omen to start the year like this, and I don't feel how I don't know how you could feel any different. Um, it, the ship needs to be righted. It needs to be righted quickly because I promise you, Louisville will not be a an easy opponent, and, and neither will Georgia Tech playing in Atlanta. No, listen, things certainly need to improve. I'll give you that. We all know that. We keep playing like this, and we'll be an 8-4 and four team playing in Charlotte at the wrong end of December. So things need to get better, but I'm just saying not quite time to panic yet. A lot of season left to go. So with that, let's switch over now to update you guys on our uh, podcast prediction challenge. Every week we'll be putting out, we're tweeting them, uh, our predictions between myself, Cody, and Tully, and then the podcast aggregate, what we expect the score to be for the game. We haven't done really well so far this year. But after this one, Tully is uh, the week two winner again. He picked up 17 points. I came in second with eight. The podcast got one. Cody, you got zero. I'm right there with Lee Corso, man. Just, just great betting advice. Take what I say and do the exact opposite, and you'll make a ton of money. So the way we're doing this is uh, if you're the closest to the final score, you get 10 points for the win. The second closest gets five and then you can also accumulate other points uh, depending on how close you are to the actual actual score for each team. Uh, so the total so far this year, Tully's leading with 27. I've got 13. The podcast has one, and Cody has zero. So the question is, what's on the line here? Well, we've decided that the winner between the three of us is going to get dinner paid for by the other two. The ultimate loser buys the round of bourbons at that dinner. And the way we want to get our listeners involved, because we do appreciate you guys listening to the show, is that that... If the podcast aggregate ultimately wins this year, we will send to Pliny the Elders. And if you've been a listener for a while, you know we used to talk a good bit about beer. Pliny the Elders is a really, really great double IPA out here, one of the best in the, in, the, in the world, really. And you can only get it in really in California and Colorado. So whomever sends us a, the best mailbag question, you can do that at clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. You can do it on our Facebook page. You can respond to the Tiger Net post. Must be 21 to apply. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's preface that by saying we need some uh, proof of ID. So whoever we deem to send us the best question or commentary throughout the year, if the podcast wins, we'll send you a couple of Pliny the Elders uh, as a show of appreciation for listening to the show. So before we leave here today, Cody, real quick, let's look around the college football landscape. I thought, and many people thought last week, that... Uh, it was one of the best weekends of college football. This week, you really couldn't see this, can't say the same for. Yeah, the, the matchups weren't as intriguing or as compelling, and then the, in the performances were kind of blah. You saw lackluster performances from 
really Georgia almost lost their game against uh, Nichols State. I don't even know who that is. Who? Where are they? I have no are idea. Are they FCS? <laughs> I think so. They're worse than Troy, I hear. Um, so that's good. And then Ohio State, they I, they barely pulled away from Tulsa. It took, a, I, think, like, I don't know if it's a snowstorm or a hailstorm to to actually pull away. But, um, you know, we're not the only ones that's kind of working out some kinks. Uh, so... Yeah, Bama got off to a slow start. They were only up 10-3 to after the first over Western Kentucky, only led 17-3 to at the half. They ultimately pulled it off 38-10. to um, Teams that did look good, Florida State, I know Charleston Southern was miss- missing about half their team, um, but they beat CSU 52-8. to DeAndre Francois continues to look the part. He had an 85.6 uh, QBR in that one. Uh, Houston looking good still beat Lamar. I know it's just Lamar, but they beat them 42 to nothing. With their backup quarterback, his uh, starting quarterback, Greg Ward, is uh, recovering from a shoulder injury. That's a really hot team right now. They're good. That offense is no joke under Tom Herman, a former offensive coordinator for Ohio State. And then the defense looks like they've got some athletes, too. That's not a, it might not be a, t- a Power Five team, but they have all the makings to ultimately you know, be in the playoff. So, so keep an eye out on them. Yeah, and a team with another really good offense that we will play here in a few weeks. Louisville uh, played Syracuse 62 to 28. Are you convinced, Ben? Lamar Jackson, is it, you didn't give Charlotte any credit. Lamar Jackson, 411 yards passing, 199, 199 yards rushing. Yes, that, those are phenomenal numbers. That's playing an ACC team. I will have to say, I tuned in for part of that game, though, and every time Lamar Jackson went back to, pl- to pass, Louisville wide receivers were just running around wide open. Of course you're going to hit that pass. So I think this speaks a little bit to Syracuse's ineptitude this year, again, I think I'm going to have to see Louisville play some better competition. That being said, I'm worried about them right now with the way Clemson's playing. Yeah, you see how Clemson did against you know lackluster or poor competition. So there's something to be said for taking care of business, uh, regardless of the opponent. Uh, then we had Tennessee uh, end up beating Virginia Tech 45-24 to after VT got up, I think, by 14 points early on there in front of 150,000 people in a in a racetrack, race car stadium. Battle of NASCAR Bristol, stadium. yeah. Battle of Bristol. It's. Uh, you think anybody in the upper deck could actually see the game? It had to be the worst viewing experience. You think they could even see the scoreboard? I mean, you saw how far away the, the actual stands were from. There was a, literally a racetrack in between the football field and the stands. It's got to be the worst view in the house. They should have just held a race at the same time <laughs> the game was going on to really make that one interesting. Oh, and yeah. Give some fans in the upper deck something to watch. But uh, Tennessee does rebound. Uh, I don't think the ACC, you know, we can kind of conclude, say they're uh, out of conference. It wasn't as good as we had hoped, especially when you, you take uh, the Georgia-North Carolina uh, final score into account. But uh, Tennessee looks like they might be a legitimate top 15 team after all. We'll see. We'll see how they, how they do uh, going forward. So, you know, one of the bigger upsets of the week, Central Michigan goes into Oklahoma State, beats them 30-27 to on a phenomenal last play of the game that really, as it turns out, shouldn't have happened. I guess Oklahoma State, on, uh, on a fourth down, trying to run out the clock, had an intentional grounding play where the quarterback just threw it out of bounds, but the wide receivers didn't break off the line of scrimmage. I guess what should have happened is because that play resulted in a loss of downs, is that loss of downs constituted the end of the game, and shouldn't have allowed Central Michigan to have an untimed down. Now, the final Hail Mary in the lateral was a thing of beauty. What an exciting way to end the game. But how do you explain to Oklahoma State that, like, listen, that last play shouldn't have counted, but we can't do anything about it? It's it's one of the biggest head-scratchers um, because, yeah, I get in certain situations a, 
a, a game or a play was uh, the wrong call was placed at the, you know, at the end of the game. And in, in the NBA, they, they monitor the last two minutes and they report on the officiating. And yeah, sometimes with a minute left, there's a foul call that should have been called. Well, you know, things transpire after that. You can correct that. This was very much the the ultimate moment in the game or the, the kind of the thing you that decided just, the game. You could just chop that off and like it didn't happen because literally nothing else happened after that, right? It was the last play. So you just take that off. This, this is just another example of how the NCAA fails to have really any control over anything that happens, it seems like, in college sports. Like they're just uh, an entity that is a little flaccid, right? They, they have no... Flaccid, good word. They have no power. Right, right. And I think just in across all sports, though, they, it's it's just like a taboo to ever decide a game retroactively or to correct the ending. It, like it takes away from the purity of, of the sport or something when that, whenever that happens. So I, I feel like in all sports, they try to avoid that, you know, uh, yeah, but over, this one's overruling. so clear cut because it's the last play of the game. It's not like you're going back, like you mentioned, basketball. Well, it's like the Miami Duke game with that, like uh, from last year, like triple or uh, eight different laterals, and they could have just corrected that. It would have been the same thing, uh, but the ACC bombed and the NCAA bombed this time. Well, I guess that's not surprising. Um, uh, another ACC team, Pitt, 42-39 to 39 over Penn State. That Pitt game later in the year is looking harder and harder. At least we have it at home. But, yeah, no, I think that's they're another formidable opponent. We, we Maybe because they're from Pittsburgh, we don't, we're not as familiar with their team. That's definitely a coastal contender. They'll be right there with North Carolina. A lot of people pick them to win the coastal. Yeah, that's not going to – I mean, the schedule's starting to look a lot more difficult. Florida State is looking good. Louisville's looking a lot better than we thought. And, again, Pittsburgh, I think they're going to be a, a good team. And finally, uh, Mississippi State, another really bad matchup here between weak SEC teams. Mississippi State 27, South Carolina Gamecocks 14. Uh, it's going to be a tough season for South Carolina. It, it looks like they threw Brandon McElwain in there, and they might be settled on him as their starting quarterback. We'll see what happens, but it's going to be a long year for Muschamp and the Gamecocks. I'm glad we're not playing South Carolina next week, I'll say that. Yeah, we're playing SC you, State. Do you feel like we would beat them? I don't know. Uh, given what I've seen out of them, yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's all we have for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in and listening. That's been the Troy Recap. Again, we'll be back at you next week after the South Carolina State game, and we'll probably also have a little look ahead to Georgia Tech, given that that'll be a Thursday game, and something that we may be concerned about at this point. Um, again, thanks for listening. Check us out. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Check out TigerNet. Happy to sponsor with, uh, or sorry, partner with them for this year. And until we talk to you next time, and as always, go Tigers.